0: This is Subjects in Process, a podcast where we explore the limits of our knowledge, try to understand the things we take for granted, and work to see things from new points of view. I'm Jeff.
1: And I'm Jonathan.
0: this is our first episode.
1: <laughs> this is our first episode. And uh, yeah, this is um we're, we're calling it subjects in process because we kind of imagine it as an ongoing dialogue about uh, different subjects that we're going to be exploring over a series of episodes and as well as ourselves as uh, subjects who are um, learning and changing. We're Uh, what might be exceptional or different about this podcast is we're not here to present our own expertise. We're here to present our ignorance as we attempt to learn as maybe hopefully many of you kind of feel the same way that the the world's a bit bigger than we can fit in our heads and it can be uh, a bit confusing out there. So we're just trying to be a little more intentional about our learning and see where this
0: goes. Totally, totally. Yeah, I was thinking about the fact that uh, you and I have been friends for a quarter of a century (laughs) over 25 years I think and and we've been doing this sort of thing for fun for most of that time Um, and often we'll come up against sort of the limits of what we know Uh, and uh, it's a yeah I'm excited about the chance to just chat with you about things that we think about anyways and and maybe yeah become a little bit more aware of things and understand the the different facets of a lot of the issues that sometimes seem black and white. Maybe there's some more shades of gray in there. Um,
1: yeah, I, yeah, I think that that's that sounds great. I mean, if, if nothing else, it's a it's a chance for us to just continue more having more of these conversations. So for yep. our first episode, we there's just so many places we could jump in, and Jeff and I have already had some back and forths a bit on uh, socialism and capitalism and some of these political issues, which today can feel quite heated, and I'd love talking with Jeff about these issues because he feels thoughtful and um, reflective, and so rather than just jump in with too much of our ignorance, we wanted mm-hmm. to start talking about someone else's perspective, so Today's podcast is going to be focused on getting some of Jeff's first thoughts on the book Eugene McCaraher's Enchantments of Mammon. So, just to be clear and fair to Jeff, he hasn't finished the book. No. And, um, But I think that's actually appropriate because we're not trying to pretend that we have a grasp on these things. And so even when we talk about uh, this book, which Jeff has just shown me on the video as being quite a mammoth tome, um, it's... This we're never gonna we we doubt our ability to to fully understand this man's work. So when we're talking about his work, we're talking about our own understanding of it. And I haven't read it, so I'm here to learn from Jeff today and hoping to kind of get some of what he's drawn out from it so far and um, uh, sure. see where he's at. Yeah. So- uh, so my first question for you, Jeff, is why did you pick this book? What, what brought you here? So I guess mm-hmm. the two sides of that are mm-hmm. um, wh- why are you interested in, in, in the subject matter? And what particular credentials does this book have, say, as opposed to uh, some other book you might have chosen?
0: Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it is a really uh, interesting book, and I've wanted to read it for probably a year and a half uh, now. Um, and just I guess so for context you know I'm about 360 pages in out of 660 pages so there's a lot left um, but he does an amazing job of really uh, signposting his argument and giving a good sense of what he's what he's arguing what he's thinking about um, and uh, and so yeah I, I this is really preliminary um, and more just I would like to be able to share about the book. Um, I heard about it. Uh, I heard, I've read a lot of Eugene McCarraher's, uh, articles in different, uh, magazines. He's written for the hedgehog review and for uh, plow quarterly, uh, which is a awesome, awesome couple of journals. Um, I think he's he used to write for books and culture as well. And, uh, and I heard about the book in uh, plow quarterly. There was a uh, sort of, uh, special issue all about capitalism and, uh, David Bentley Hart had an article in there as well and a bunch of other people. Um, And this was a, an article that was about John Ruskin who is a a Victorian writer. Um, And I I had studied him a little bit at university. Um, But uh, basically uh, McCarraher was saying John Ruskin is uh, sort of this guy we need to recover. We need to start thinking about what he wrote because he is presenting a, an idea of, of socialism uh, that is uh, different than the Marxist lineage, and uh, and that has uh, all sorts of really neat ideas surrounding it. Um, so I, I suppose you know I'm I'm not reading it because I want a good critique of capitalism, um, and the book doesn't really ca- critique capitalism per se. Uh, it's more uh, it, it, it's implicit, I guess, in the whole in the whole thing. Um, what it's trying to do is it's trying to uh, uh, it's trying to Ask, trying to assert basically that, you know, we are creatures who worship and long and have these desires. And when capitalism came on the scene uh, at the dawn of modernity, uh, it wasn't like all of those things just went away and science sort of uh, solved all of, our, all of our longing for mystery. Um, it, it ra- rather, there wasn't a disenchantment of the world. It was um, just a change in what was enchanted. And, uh, and his book is really all about uh, talking about that, showing how, uh, again and again, um, these attempts to uh, put capitalism to work in service of those longings um, actually uh, fails to really arrive at what we are really longing for and really wanting to do. Um, so that's uh, that's what the book is about. Um
1: yeah, yeah that's uh already that's already super exciting. One thing that I just um that you mentioned in that is this notion of worship and um that kind of suggests to me this probably comes from a a religious background. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And yes. so I'm I'm just I just want to kind of hear you kind of uh unpack that word a bit. Um you know, I think of like the concepts of awe, which I think you I've heard you talk about a bit, maybe even being in this book, and um, just thinking about what um, what concepts of worship kind of might mean in kind of as broadly as possible.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it's a it's a good catch. I think um, McCarraher is a associate professor at Villanova University. Um, I think he's Catholic. Uh, he's a pretty I'd say he's a prominent uh, Christian left kind of personality or something like that. I'm not sure if he would like that description, but, um, and so, yeah, he, he's pretty explicit early in the book that, that he's writing from this perspective of um, there, there is uh, the world is enchanted. um, And for him, what that means is it's filled with uh, material signs of the divine Um, and so to kind of back that up a bit, uh, there was a book that came out, I think 15 years ago or or so, uh, called a secular age by Charles Taylor. Um, and, uh, it got a lot of press, a lot of, uh, interest, uh, in the academy. Um, and what he talks about, he's a Canadian. Yeah. He's from Montreal. Just,
1: just throwing it out a little thumbs up to our good local thinkers, local.
0: McGill, McGill philosopher, very important for Jack Layton. He was a kind of Jack Layton's mentor. Okay. Uh, um, so yeah, just an interesting, really interesting thinker, also Catholic. Um, and Jack, Jack Layton is uh, the NDP. I mean, late NDP right. uh, leader. Uh, yeah. Great. I guess cool. he passed away several years ago now, but yeah. you know, he was a cool dude. Yeah. Um, so anyways, the, the thing that Charles Taylor talks about is he says uh, with the beginning of of um the modern period uh we begin to see a turn away from sort of uh what he calls uh a buff the oh no i might be getting this mixed up the buffered self um essentially he says we had the or no it's the porous self (laughs) <laughs> sorry yeah no it, no that's okay. it also is a 750 page book
1: <laughs> yes no and and uh, I think I think that's okay you know like I it's even just maybe a point to note you know we're gonna be talking about words and we're just gonna sometimes have to make up our own definitions for things right and trying to avoid the focus on just exactly what word and what it means yes and kind of just focusing on what's our understanding of the words we're using so you know if we don't get this right uh it's um because we're not scholars but we're going to be doing our best and trying to just be making sense with it with whatever words we need so yes totally so charles
0: the poorest self self. yeah so uh you know he he sees the kind of pre-modern era as this world that's inhabited by spirits um from from the kind of perspective of the average person right the the world is full of spirits the reason that things happen are often uh mystical or spiritual in nature um and what he says is with the dawn of modernity and this again this is a this is a book i haven't read um but i kind of know the argument um you begin to see the emergence of what he describes as exclusive humanism um, you know, there's been all sorts of other kinds of humanism in the past and there continue to be, but exclusive humanism, the way that I've been thinking of it is, is the idea that the, there is no outside to the world, to the universe, right? The universe is, uh, is self-enclosed and he calls that the imminent frame. Um, and so what he, what he also says though, is that that doesn't mean that that's the end of uh, kind of a transcendent sort of feeling. Right? The transcendent feeling, you know, the desire for the numinous, you know, all of these sorts of ways of talking about, he also calls it fullness, the feeling of fullness. All of those things continue to be deeply part of the human experience. And uh, they just look different um, in this, what he thinks of as a disenchanted world. Um, So I guess to go back to your question about worship, um, he would say, I think, that. Worship continues to be an orientation that humans just do. We just do that, right? We 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 uh, imbue objects or you know people or whatever with more uh, meaning and uh, significance, maybe an uh, infinite amount of significance, uh, which results in them being objects that we you know idolize or that we. Uh, yeah, think think they're going to solve all our problems, right? Our our hopes and anxieties are somehow hung on the fulfillment of uh, that they promise, uh, whether they've said that they promise it or not. Um, uh- yeah, yeah, no,
1: that's great. That's that's really helpful. I mean, I think of um, Richard Dawkins and just the fact that he, in his criticisms of religion, he criticizes sometimes the religious notion that they have exclusive access to worship and awe, right? Mm, and yes. I mean, and he's criticizing a, you know, I mean, he may be setting up a straw dog. He may be uh, criticizing a, a small subset Of Christianity but the point being that he agrees that this is an orientation of humans to the world who feel it kind of regardless of their religious orientation yes yeah yeah so just that the the notion of worship and awe kind of being um kind of a, a very full and broad notion of of what's kind of a part of human living he's talking about uh Capitalism implicitly, and talking about um, this kind of loss of this. Now, one one thing I wanted to just give you a chance to talk a little more about is you mentioned the the porous self and yeah. the imminent frame. Yes, and just. If there's, uh, if you want to make a distinction at this point about kind of the differences between our Canadian philosopher whose name already slips my mind, Chuck Charles, Taylor. Chuck Taylor, yeah, um, and uh, and and what this guy's presentation of this is.
0: Yeah, oh, sure, sure. So he actually, um, McCarraher has a little section where he critiques Charles Taylor, uh, not in, I mean, he likes him, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he uh, he says that the thing that's interesting, um, because and I, I don't know if we've quite talked about this yet, but um, the whole premise of of one of McCarraher's key points is that, you know, we often think of modernity as a disenchantment of the world. Right. Um, and that's something that comes from Max Weber. And uh, for McCarraher, he says, no, it's not disenchanted. It's misenchanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the enchantment ever went away that right. sort of orientation to the world he says diff- that's different than what charles taylor says because charles taylor at least for mccarraher uh buys into that he says the world is disenchanted mm-hmm. on in modernity mm-hmm. um and so it's almost like uh the the loss of the porous self the arise of the buffered self which is like a self that is enclosed that Mm. sort of doesn't allow itself to be pierced by uh the outside um the the thing about that is that you still see the numinous and so uh mccarraher says okay and so charles taylor is really just wanting uh us to look for opportunities to re-enchant the world Mm -hmm. and uh what mccarraher says is um he says that's like uh trying to be deliberately spontaneous he right. says it, it just doesn't work, right? And yeah. um and a better approach, which is what he's he's saying he's doing, yeah. is to uh to recognize that dis- that the world is not disenchanted, to right. kind of recognize the way that the world is actually enchanted, but in kind of what he sees as corrupt ways.
1: Okay, so um there again, so you mentioned uh, Max Weber and how um. He kind of references that line of argumentation about the disenchantment so do you want to just kind of like it almost sounded to me like maybe uh Max Weber is he's 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 riffing off that so do you want to just okay. kind of like spell out a little bit about uh, what what uh Max Weber said that he's referring to and how he uses it
0: sure um so uh Max Weber is a I guess a sociologist from the turn of the 20th century. Um, and he wrote a book that is pretty important called uh, The Protestant Work Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism, and uh, it's 1905. Um, and I think it, you know, his argument is you know kind of long and complicated, but he he, started from, he starts from this position of saying, why is it that successful capitalists tend to be Protestant? that's the beginning of the book. It's really kind of funny, but you know, I, there's a really great quote that I, I found. Um, and it's actually the quote where he talks about the disenchantment of the world, uh, Weber. Um, so he says, um, the, the disenchantment of the world, the elimination of magic as a means to salvation, uh, the Catholics had not carried nearly so far as the Puritans had done. To the Catholics, the absolution of his church was a compensation for his own imperfection, right? So, people just know that they're imperfect, and uh, somehow uh, the church has this magic uh, ability through the Eucharist and other things. I'm not quoting. I'm, I'm just now. I'm just yep. sort of explaining that. Right. Um, yes. So, so he, the first part is all about the Catholic situation, yeah. right, and what what that experience was like, and then he says, "Here's the Calvinist." The Calvinist lives in this ascetic reality where God is just saying, you must be always improving, always getting better, always turning the world into something better. Um, You know, this is your calling. And this is one of his arguments in the book is that um, basically with the Protestant Reformation, you see a move of something like a monastic calling, right? Like a monk is called to this ascetic, very like deliberative prayerful, you know, pious life. And that ends up getting disseminated, like spread out across for everybody. That's now the, the calling for all humans, not just monks, which I'm just like, holy smokes. I like, I'm having like PTSD. I'm like, you know, <laughs> reading it. It's just like, oh my goodness. That explains so much right. uh, in terms of you. my own experience, like, faith journey and yeah. Christian walk. Uh, right. but yeah, anyways, one of the things I
1: just kind of love about that. And I think will be kind of, uh, an, um, an, a significant part of our conversation, right. Is, as, um, uh, a, a, a secular writer, right. Like with pretty strong critiques of religion, but taking, um, his understanding of religion and the people of whom he speaks is um i mean obviously he was in a time where it had a much more significant social role but uh and so maybe it was more important at that time but it's really interesting to hear like a critic of religion who comes at it with uh, a deeper understanding of it than many of what you might hear today so that's um totally uh, yeah, and so, yeah, so us coming from, you know, different places and, um, but both of us with Christian backgrounds, um, I think that it'll be, it's really important to to be able to think about how to speak about religion, what it means in, um, kind of in, from a lot of different perspectives, you know, both, both secular and religious, and of yeah. course, those two things encompassing a lot of worldviews, potentially even with overlap, um, and yeah, I, totally. Yeah. I don't know if it's worth highlighting just because so many people might not be familiar, right? With like um, uh, Luther, um, Martin Luther, who mm-hmm. uh, started the Protestant Reformation, um, if there was uh, one book that he was going to remove from the Bible, It was going to be the book of James because the book of James talks about how he really wanted to emphasize this notion of salvation by faith and that it wasn't of works and to kind of get away from uh, the way works had been used as Potentially, I don't know a cudgel on uh, Catholic believers, and so in the Book of James, it talks about how if you really believe, you will stop sinning, or at least be in the process of not of of stopping your sin. So the notion of the the Protestant work ethic, where Protestants have this emphasis emphasis on salvation by grace it's not by anything that you do but your faith is proved by your works right. so it ends up being this kind of like ironic twist where they they tried to make this move of saying we're saved by grace alone but it uh, actually led them to this kind of um, need for relentless improvement that yes was the way by which they yeah evidenced yeah their faith.
0: yeah oh that's 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 great I mean it's not great, but yes. <laughs> well, it's ironic.
1: It's tragic to me. It's so tragic. Yeah. It is it's tragic to me because like I've heard so many um people criticize religion as um as this guilt-inducing thing. And for me, my experience of religion was never like that. It was so full of grace. And I still feel like my worldview is so oriented around the notion of grace. And so I I don't relate to that. I really relate to this notion of um, Christianity being the, uh, the place for screw-ups, right? I mm-hmm. mean, it's like, and, and just being, uh, like when I screw up in life and have my guilt, it's just so great to have, um, this notion mm-hmm. of grace mm-hmm. as an alternative to, and so comes to mind, um, one of my favorite, uh, little pieces of, um, I don't. I mean, I'm afraid of sounding now name droppy too. But Dostoevsky in Brothers Karamazov, there's the mm. this um, f- this priest uh, talks about, or a monk talks about an influential figure in his life who, as a boy, was very sick. And while he was sick, he had this these terrible pangs of conscience, and was talking about himself as a sinner. Um, and his family, everyone was saying to him, you know, don't be so hard on yourself, but he kept saying, no, no, it's, it's okay because I know that I'm forgiven and it's mm. better to be forgiven than to be perfect. Anyway, mm. this is, this is a, a terrible aside that's pulling us far away. That, from but actually, actually this
0: line. It, it does pull us away, I guess, from favor, <laughs> but it's totally McCarraher's main it's that's the thrust of, of a lot of what he's talking about when he talks about Um, a sacramental ontology, um, which is a set of words that need to be unpacked. But (laughs) what he's talking about is he's saying, this is a world that is abundant uh, and good and full, um, and a world to to be oriented towards the world sacramentally is to see it charged with God's grandeur. You know, an ontology, and correct me if I'm wrong, because this is how I've always thought of it, but I don't actually know if that's true, um, yeah. but, you know, I, worldview, I think, is, a, yeah. is an okay other word for ontology. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that there's philosophers out there who would nitpick that, but sure. um, because otherwise, why wouldn't they just use the word worldview? It's way more clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, so a worldview that sees the world as um, full of, of goodness mm-hmm. and full of grace, um, you know, a sacrament. So sacramental sacrament, uh, St. Augustine says that it is a, a, material. Oh, a visible. Oh no. Visible object that is a sign of an invisible grace, something mm-hmm. like that. I've butchered that quote, but, That's but essentially crazy. it's, it's, um, something material that points beyond itself. So something like the Eucharist, right. Uh, you know, the bread and wine that Christians take, uh, at church that mm-hmm. is a, a sacrament because it's not just bread and wine. It's pointing beyond it to, uh, you know, the sacrifice of Jesus and, um, and, you know, certain versions of Christianity make that even more like magical and mystical, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but the, the idea of seeing the world sacramentally is to say, there's grace right on the other side, and there's goodness all through it. Um, right. And you can see, I think the beginnings of. Um, thinking about something like scarcity or like um, some of the terms that sometimes get associated with capitalist uh, Mm. economics um, as being opposed to that kind of sacramental vision. If you see the world as abundant and full, but not in a way that's like, and it's full because I can just use as much of it as I want uh, Mm -hmm. to increase my capital, Mm -hmm. um, then then you're starting to get a sense of where the opposition is between uh, sacramental ontology and uh, at least what McCarraher is critiquing about capitalism, um, Mm -hmm. which I know we haven't even gotten into, but no, that's okay. We have lots of notes on capitalism because it's like, it's like, what does that even mean? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, no. And I like it. Right. Cause like what we're doing here, right. Is like, yeah, the capitalism can mean a lot of different things and socialism can mean a lot of different things. And so we're kind of acknowledging one that we don't know what these things mean yet. And that there's probably not, there's not going to be perfect agreement on what they mean in the end either. Um, And so that's why we're starting here, right. Is we're kind of, we're just trying to look at, um, our understanding of one person's ideas and seeing where that takes us. So yeah, I and um, I'm, uh, you know, I have these these two sides of like a. Lo- I have a deep longing for an enchanted world, but also a, a fairly deep commitment to a kind of materialism. And so uh, that as soon as as soon as the words capitalism do come up, I immediately have kind of like um, bifurcated. Views where I want to acknowledge this as a as like a, a an important um, idea to keep thinking about and seeing what what value is he pointing at that maybe we're missing and that he shows us a road to McCarraher, um, but then also you know this other side of me that's thinking I I think you are. Um, you know you're you're characterizing capitalism in a very sort of narrow way and potentially not um not showing us you're, you're highlighting a problem but i'm not sure that you're showing us the road out and um but we'll get more into that as we go i guess yeah as this just being our our long winding path to get to, <laughs> to uh, around a topic yeah yeah
0: That that's kind of like his perspective is: we're still enchanted, we're still mm-hmm. um, we're still longing for for things. We have these hopes and anxieties. And one of the things he's doing in his book is to show that okay, um, the the end of the Catholic imagination, uh, which is sort of this sacramental ontology, uh, the end of that worldview, or the beginning of Protestantism, is this move towards improvement. And this move towards just God mm-hmm. has, has asked you to, um, has called you to relentlessly improve the world um, to basically pursue wealth for its own sake. Mm-hmm. Um, and he calls this the Puritan covenantal theology, mm-hmm. which is essentially, he's trying to say, it's like with the Israelites and how the Israelites had a covenant with God when they came into the promised land. Um, The same thing was in the Puritans way of thinking about themselves, right? That the Puritans would say, all right, we're coming to the new world. It's this land of plenty that God has basically commanded us to uh, take from nature and cultivate, turn it into a civilization. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and there's all these racial overtones as well uh, with that. Um, And so what he says is, is this sort of drive the it's a continuance of the enchanted worldview. But it's sort of the objects of it have changed. Yeah, so that it's enchanting. Of, yeah, it's
1: it's it's enchanting the, the the material without seeing beyond it to something else.
0: Yeah, the material is like a means to the end of making money and amassing wealth. Right, right. Um, and and so yeah,
1: it's funny because in that critique, I both hear um, common. Uh, kind of pitfalls that I may fall into in my in my thinking sometimes as um, maybe the more more capitalist of the two of us. but I also feel like and I'm not sure how much to to foreshadow this but um, I also feel like it it's not seeing the the way out which is in in some ways kind of built into the view of kind of uh, a capitalism, capitalist view, where this utilitarian um, worldview that she kind of uh, is always seeing the world as um, only for the utility of wealth, where I think a... Um, yeah, and I think it'll be good. Just in case we have our capitalists listening to know we want us we we do want to get to both sides of the story. Yeah. And one of the ways that I'm interested in kind of talking about as a potential way out of this criticism is saying, um, the the utility of wealth is is for the sake of something else, right? And mm-hmm. utilitarianism kind of says something for the sake of something else, mm-hmm. and we can. Uh, as humans, we may be, we may get lost in the pursuit of wealth, but that's our own mistake in failing to realize that any wealth, any, um, everything is for the sake of the value, um, that it kind of, that it can then contribute to. Right. So just like, you know, when, when you, uh, when you have money, it is, uh, ultimately for the sake of something else, right? You know, yeah. uh, uh, feeding your family, um, uh, buying a gift for a loved one. Right. And, and to give us the opportunity to, um, kind of circumscribe a private life where, uh, what really matters to us can be, um, can be our own or yes. something where we yes. can pursue that. But that's, yeah. So, um, I, I, but at the same time, I, I see I see very legitimate criticisms that he's making, right? And especially in terms of where you think about so much of our attention and focus can get to. Right. Um, and so I do, I want to like fully explore this notion and uh, of enchantment, right? Which is like what, which in, in many ways kind of maybe is touching on what this podcast might end up being hopefully more about in the long run, where as we explore socialism and capitalism, These are topics that have come up and have been interesting, but for us, I think are probably kind of a means to a discussion about what matters and Mm -hmm. what we care about and Mm -hmm. things like that. So um, I I really feel like that's where he is. His insights are kind of coming from highlighting what, trying to repoint us at what matters and what we Mm -hmm.
0: should be thinking about. So um, it's, it's, you know, in some ways, I think, and this is not something that McCarraher says, but. Uh, one of the things that I've, like the the whole idea of there not being an outsider, What what's the relation, just to use something that we probably talked about in Philosophy 400 with Karen Houle, you and I, yes. uh, however many years ago that was, 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, the idea of the other, like yeah. what does it mean to be face-to-face with the other? And I think that the thing about McCarraher's critique critique implicit critique of, of capitalism and is that it applies to certain forms of capitalism um, which like you said I think we we're going to need to unpack um, mm-hmm. you know like what's the difference between corporate capitalism and uh, you know traditional capitalism mm-hmm. or do the same things apply and mm-hmm. and at what point do you you know relentlessly pursue wealth versus pursuing wealth in a kind of constrained way for a purpose outside of itself um, mm-hmm. Like the Rockefellers don't come in for very good. Uh, they, they're not treated very well in this book. <laughs> right. right. Um, and I
1: mean, I don't know a lot about the Rockefellers, but I mean, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. So
0: I mean, John Rockefeller's the guy who famously said, you know, how much, how much more money do you need? Uh, well, just a little bit more. Right. Um, yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that, yeah. that will be, that'll be good. So maybe uh, just to kind of, See, I'm not sure how this question's going to go exactly because you said he doesn't talk about capitalism explicitly, but he he seems to be suggesting that it is um it's misenchanting the world, right? And so I'm I guess I'm interested in like what what is this more specifically what is he pointing at? What's happening in this capitalist worldview as he calls it and how does it function in kind of like making us go wrong
0: you know one of the i guess the thing that he does a lot the the first part of the book is sort of set in europe and covers a really long like 1400 to i think 1800 i can't quite remember Um, and then the majority of the book is set in america um, and he has sort of sections on the puritans and he has a section on sort of pre-civil war and then sort of Civil War to the end of the First World War. Um, and what, he's, what he does a lot is he sort of has these little uh, stories about um, things that look like they're going to be different than just sort of capitulation to the worst tendencies of capitalism, yep. right? Like um, even something like the Puritan sort of, We're just going to work hard and, and, you know, do what God wants us to do. And, and that kind of thing, you know, that could end up looking like it's going to get worse and worse. But then he says, but then they have this like desire for community, right? They're looking for this community, this way of thinking about themselves, but it almost always goes bad because capitalism that's, that's essentially, (laughs) and and it's sort of a a story that he repeats again and again, from different perspectives where he's like, you know, he'll talk about Um, Frederick Taylor, for example, uh, who is uh, the founder of scientific management, Um, you know, and he was a mechanical engineer uh, who uh, you some people have heard him Taylorism is basically like where you go in and you systemically record how long does it take to do a particular task Mm -hmm. and you try to find ways to make it more and more efficient,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, you know, and it's a it's still extremely common. It's a Mm -hmm. pretty standard way of doing things. Um, and what he says is he's like, you know, there's something about Taylorism that is, uh, has kind of, and this is where he critiques man- management theory in general is, yeah. you know, it's manipulative. It treats uh, people as sort of means to the greater end of, you know, uh, increasing profits. Yeah. Um, you know, all of those sorts of critiques, but he says, but the thing that's weird is that for Frederick Taylor he thought this is going to unify employers and employees. This is going to create this, you know, uh, benevolent community where everyone's just working towards the greater good of like being effective at our work and not making our work like uh, lame, you know, minim- minimizing the sort of the tedious kinds of things and trying to find ways of doing work better. And it's funny because, you know, both of us do different kinds of management. Uh, work. Yeah. And there's, I think that kind of like positive tone is something that sticks around, right? McCaraher yeah. doesn't like that positive tone. Because <laughs> yeah. for him, he says, this is really just uh, sort of, it, it's like the best tendencies of humans, like that, that desire for community, that desire for, um, you know, just all being on the same team and making life better, right? Increasing our freedom. Mm-hmm. They're all good things, but they end up getting put to towards uh, bad things like mm-hmm. just making s- a small number of people richer uh, yeah. you know and like uh, yeah anyways you could go on and on about the different mm-hmm. problems with capitalism from his perspective but
1: yeah well and and we may right like I mean I do think it's I think the particulars matter right and Absolutely. so it could because for me I'm just often, Concerned about how the word capitalism gets thrown about, and so I like hearing the specific critiques because a specific critique can be bang on and say, "Yeah, that thing you're talking about is bad." Do does do we have to use the word capitalism to describe yes. it? Right? Yeah. And I mean, and my suspicion is, and um, that uh, some of the things that socialists call capitalism and uh, vice versa, you know, they would not self-describe that way. So, um, and, and it is interesting too. So I would, I would be interested and per, maybe we will end up doing this, uh, whether we record it for others or not, but, um, in kind of a, a deeper conversation about this management theory stuff, because I, again, feel like there are, um, it's hard sometimes to tell the difference between a good idea that's hard to execute well and a bad idea. Mm, and yeah. um, and so I just can't help but feel like there are actually, like there's good things in it to be optim- optimistic about and that it is often misused by people with power. Um, and and also I can see some uh, limitations that it almost always faces, but yeah. Yeah, we, and,
0: and, and when, you, when you, like I think... I agree. I think it'd be interesting to l- look into it because I think sometimes when you, you start from the textbook, uh, yeah. you know, and this is the, the theory and it's, it's implicitly top down because you're starting from the textbook, yeah. it's very different than when you are doing sort of trying to improve uh, work, uh, you know, the, the, the nature of work or mm-hmm. of different kinds of activities that you do during your work. Um, Yeah, you know the that ground level interaction with people and Mm -hmm. trying to find ways to make work better, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and more effective. I guess is always part of that, but yeah, um, I agree. Like it's it's, I I, and I think the problem sometimes with the way that it gets critiqued is that we're critiquing the textbook, um, which isn't necessarily a a how it's always perfect. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well.
1: Yeah. No, I, yeah, keep going. I was
0: just going to say, uh, we should look at Alistair McIntyre's After Virtue, because mm-hmm. he has, I think, at least one chapter that's about management theory. Yeah. Um, and Alistair McIntyre, although he, I think, probably falls on the left, or he at least used to be a Marxist uh, mm-hmm. before he became a Catholic. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, the thing about him is that he's often used by more conservatives um, mm. uh, in, in some of the ways of thinking he's he's big on tradition um right or positive about it yeah um so he might be someone that we could look into
1: yeah totally and and i mean and i would even go so far as to yeah i'll 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 put in another little kind of like plug for capitalism so a lot of the time the challenges that people run into in capitalism are um what are described in capitalistic in textbooks on capitalism as externalities, right? right? And this is where um, in the, in, in any exchange, there can be outside effects um, that aren't effects on the seller or the buyer. And so these can be positive or negative, right? And the the most famous example currently being is the carbon footprint of the exchange. Right. And so, um when there's this carbon footprint which doesn't doesn't uniquely impact the buyer or the seller rather it's releasing carbon and warming the atmosphere of the whole planet this is an externality to the exchange and this is not um this is not something capitalists are unaware of right at the very kind of like beginning of capitalism um in adam smith's wealth of nations he not that i've read it again i just have this like vague understanding of what he's written about Perfect. um he, he he talks about externalities and recognizes them right up front and acknowledges them as an important place for state intervention and so the interesting thing is like you know we we have a current uh cultural climate in which uh, many conservatives who might self-describe as capitalists oppose a climate tax or a, a carbon tax, but in many ways, the importance of a carbon tax is acknowledged, like right up front, from a capitalist. Um, right from from the father of capitalism. Right. If we if we're okay with giving yeah um, him that name. So, um, I mean, that's yeah. that's
0: a question I would love for us to explore: is how do we get from Adam Smith? To Milton Friedman
1: right well how I do mean, we how do yeah. we how does that happen yeah well and I mean and I would be also interested in discussing Milton Friedman more thoroughly because um you know I think I think there's wisdom from Milton Friedman right like one of the big things that we see the left pushing for is more money in higher education and um what that ends up being most of the time to uh, it's a very regressive um form of taxation where we're Mm. taxing everybody and then we're giving all that money back to the rich people who go to university and um you know and so Milton Friedman would suggest that you know that's just a great example of how stupid all of our interventions are Mm. and how they end up accomplishing the opposite of what we want Mm. most of the time Mm. and and so um I don't Again, I don't know a lot about Milton Friedman. I've seen a few YouTube videos, um, and I can understand why people get like very irritated at that uh, smile on his face that never goes away. As he,
0: it's fun to like just sort of use people though as like um, as like placeholders for yeah. Oh, know, agreed. No, and we'll which, do that all the I, time, right? I, yeah. I think that hopefully part of what we can do is is when we're saying something like like well Adam Smith
1: mm-hmm. suddenly
0: by digging just a little bit deeper, we can say, oh, yeah, the, the shorthand that I want to mean when I say Adam Smith is yeah. not as uh, easy to kind of hold on to. Yeah. And maybe I mean the late Adam Smith, or maybe I don't mean Adam Smith at all. Maybe I mean right. Milton Friedman. Yeah. <laughs> or and maybe,
1: maybe I mean my, uh, my brother in law's <laughs> understanding of Adam Smith, right? Right. You know, right. but, and, and maybe what we can do, because I agree, like placeholders are useful, right? We're not going to be able so we can, like, we can always kind of, we, or maybe not always, but occasionally we can be clear that we're, you know with Milton Friedman or the idea of Milton Friedman as a placeholder for right yeah um yeah and and um you know Milton Friedman I think comes out of a tradition of uh Hayek who oh, okay um, yeah. right so the two kind of potentially the two biggest streams of uh economists come from Hayek who's the slightly less famous and then the most famous being the Brit um,
0: uh... Oh my goodness! Anyway, Keens,
1: Keens. That's okay. it.
0: Exactly. Perfect. Do you know that John Maynard Maynard Keens? Uh, I don't know if it's his grandson or something like that. Played Edmund in the Line Witch in the wardrobe movie.
1: Oh my goodness! I love this. this Isn't that is interesting? Favorite. I think he's yeah. maybe
0: a maybe a great nephew or something like that. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, Anyways. that's um, yeah. So so those two, right? And I guess. One of the the virtues that I'm eventually gonna want to get to when we talk more about capitalism. And so now I'm 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 okay with us having signposted here because um, uh, I do actually have a like a friend of mine who is very much a capitalist. Like he he will go very far, and he of course that's what does that mean, right? It's right. a particular kind, um, but. Um, if he was listening to this, you know, and, and to McCarraher, he would just be, you know, he's going to be losing it. He would not. He'd just be wanting to jump in on every point. Um, mm-hmm. And so for him, I, I kind of feel like it's. Uh, I do want a signpost that we we want to discuss these things on both sides. And one of the things that I think the non-capitalists um, there's there's an element of humility. And what we can know and what we can do—that is kind of a, a really important part of what I think um, underpins capitalism—and um, and trying to limit the kind of the scope of our intervention because we're mm. not as smart as we think we are. Right. And that and that kind of humility, I think, can can really be uh, drawn out as a significant virtue. Um, but yeah. It's uh, we'll we'll see as we keep talking about it more
0: for sure. And I, I think you know I, one of the things that it it brings up to me is you know there's overlaps in definitions between things like libertarian and mm-hmm. capitalist. Mm-hmm. And I often think that maybe when we're talking about capitalist, we're actually meaning libertarian, because right. you know certain forms of capitalism have tons of intervention, mm-hmm. and it's not uh mm-hmm. it's not contradictory to a certain version of capitalism. Mm -hmm. You know, if capitalism is the means of production, Mm -hmm. right, are in the hands of the capitalist, uh, which is just one part of a definition that's probably not even accurate. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with whether there's intervention or non-intervention. And so something about McCarraher that's interesting is that when I go through uh, over and over again, he's quite critical of socialists.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. Because,
0: because, and, and I mean, I, I think he would just define himself as a, a socialist, Yeah. but um, you know, he's the, the, the thing is, is he actually has a lot of good stuff to say about anarchism yeah. as well. And anarchism has a lot to do with non-intervention Right. Uh, libertarians right. and anarchists have a certain amount of overlap as well.
1: Yeah. I don't know how many um, pure uh like, like these ideas of capitalism and how many different versions there are and what the core kind of tenants are. And so for sure, like I, I mostly, um, when I, uh, when I defend it, it's based on my very vague understanding of Adam Smith, um, who also uh wrote other works of philosophy that are like quite charitable and quite human.
0: Yeah. Um yeah. right.
1: And and I I don't think he was
0: he's the he, he's the father of modern sympathy, right? Like <laughs> of our notion of sympathy. Of our notion of sympathy, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. And
1: yeah, and and so there's that's where and he's of course coming out of a very specific context of like um. Uh, where we've got major world powers that are manipulating economies that, um, and for their own kind of power, the economic power as a occasional alternative to military intervention. Right. Right. And, and, and kind of using it as a form of warfare. And, um, and so he was saying to the state, you need to stop doing this. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so the details of what all of that is, we'll, we'll, ha- we'll want to get to later. And also with McCarraher, and um, yeah, let's get let's maybe move back to that for a while. I guess we've gone on a pretty like wide rabbit trail, but I, that I think does an okay job of um, kind of signposting some of where we're gonna go and yep. just kind of see what else he might have to say, so.
0: Um, you know, I, I think where I'm at in the book uh, it, I'm actually really excited about what's next, what's coming up in it. I know that he has a discussion of Disney, which is going to be awesome. And he has a discussion of uh, a more in-depth discussion of advertising and sort of the role it plays in developing what he calls uh, a corporate soul. Um, you know, how do, we, how do we get society to start thinking of capitalism as, or thinking of um, uh, this, these industries as being more than just profit uh profit creating industries how do we make them begin to get a personality um and sort of start creating identities where we Mm. can belong to that personality Mm. right where i can be a coke or as
1: like is that that specifically any like examples of like the enchantment of them Uh,
0: yeah like i mean i think he's i'm i'm uh this is what I would love to see in it. I have a feeling yeah. that he'll be yeah. at a higher level than that. <laughs> sure. No, <laughs> you know? no. Yeah. And uh, you know, and talking about sort of the, the emergence of adver- advertising as a, as a brand development, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. I think the thing that I I've been loving about this book is just that it uh, presents the possibility uh, that there might be another world, but that it's not a utopia that needs to be built from scratch. Um, it's actually something that's already there, Um, you know, that it has this optimism about uh, God and the universe and who we are as creatures within it. Um, That is, I mean, I think sometimes he comes down too hard on, on the capitalists, right? These partly because there's, it's often what'll happen is, you know, someone will be doing something really great uh, you know, he talks about John Weir, who's the founder of the Sierra Club, I think, oh,
1: uh, yeah. like an
0: environmentalist movement, right? Mm-hmm. And they're doing this great stuff. But then they're friends with all these people who are not that great and stuff yeah. like that, right? And he doesn't yeah. really like that very much. Yeah. Um, uh, so I mean, for me, it, it it's th- the thing about this book, I think that I'm, I am loving is that it has this other imagination. And it's also not simplistic. If, I, if, if it's come across simplistic, then that's mm. my fault for sure. Yeah. Um, because I think, you know, one of the things that he's really all about is um, breaking down the many different alternatives that there are both for capitalism and for socialism. Um, you know, he says, uh, he, he's tracing the development of, of all these different alternative capitalism. Capitalisms, And that's not what he wants, right? He doesn't want an alternative capitalism. He wants an alternative to capitalism. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the thread of a lot of the stories that he tells is this thread of, oh, maybe this is going to be something different or something new. And then, oh, no, it's not actually. Um, But the thing is, is I I think it does present something interesting about uh, the possibility for difference and diversity. Um, And one of the things he does that's also quite interesting is this alternative communism. Uh, to Marx, Marx's communism, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he really critiques Marx very harshly, uh, Hmm. in terms of uh, his technocratism, um, you know, with its sort of uh, emphasis on regimentation, uh, industrialism, Uh, you know, he says, uh, what does he say, he says, um, Marx and Engels endorse industrial despotism, uh, and he draws attention to Lenin's embrace of Taylorism, of Frederick Taylor's systems, mm-hmm. which he says confirmed that the authoritarian features of Soviet industry were modeled after the most imperious brand of American corporate discipline. All right. This is his thing, right? Like, I love yeah. I love the adjectives he uses.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, no, he is a good writer.
0: But, but so for him, Marx is a great diagnostician, but not a great, uh, the prescription that he's written us is not great. Right, um, and so that's why he's going back to people that just aren't really on our radar anymore, like John yeah. Ruskin and William Morris yeah. and uh, Lewis Mumford and E. F. Schumacher, uh, Vita Dutton Scudder, just names <laughs> names that I, I mean I've heard of some of these names, but a lot of yeah. them I've never heard of before. Yeah,
1: yeah. and
0: you know he's got all of these lists of books that they wrote, and they're almost all available on the Internet Archive. Right, so it's it's cool. Like that that's yeah. what I've been loving about it. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, it, it, I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly how popular Zizek is these days, but I mean, I do see. I mean, it's. I feel like he's probably coming from a fairly different perspective on these issues, but they they have a lot in common. So Zizek also talks about Marx as a, um, his assessment as being good but his prescriptions as maybe not as ideal and his expectations as misplaced on what communism will deliver. And he also, he also is very opposed to bosses and employees getting along. He thinks, you know, he's, <laughs> right, yeah. they should be giving uh, yeah. each other the finger at a regular racist, especially yep. because of the significant power imbalance. Yes. Um, which of course, yeah, is all of which may come up again as we discuss more about, uh, capitalism. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And I'm, I, yeah, I, the, the, the ideas of the corporate soul in advertising, I think it'll be, I'm looking forward to you finishing that too, and us coming back to discuss it further. And it's, it's quite interesting because I feel like many of his concerns are going to actually parallel the concerns of the capitalists I'm most familiar with. And, totally. Yeah. And, um, and, and, if, if I had to fault him, if I had to pick, it would be the fact that in the same way we discussed using somebody's name as a placeholder, that he uses capitalism as a placeholder for these terrible things when the word, uh, you know, it, in a way that's not helpful when talking to a capitalist about how to structure an economy. Right. But, um, but yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to return to him as we kind of discuss these and you know uh, I just have this imagining future where I think oh yeah he is a capitalist <laughs> you know oh, with, right yeah, yeah. Um, by I... whatever by whatever kind <laughs> well, of well I guess he's not
0: coming on the show now
1: <laughs> <laughs> well but but I mean yeah and i I might be overly optimistic here but i I have this strong hope for uh, the ability to abandon our current understandings of words and trying to find um, simpler, less um, like words that we haven't all come to positions on in advance, where there are actually many kind of points of agreement on these underlying. Um, I, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, what I mean, it, and I think I think this will probably come up in the next episode more. But you know, when he's I, what I've been I've been trying to keep track of the things that he's critiquing when he associate like the, the things that he associates with capitalism and critiques. You know, like the pursuit of profit, um, property, unregulated free trade, the right to sell for most and buy for least, the principle of combination, the glorification glorification of work for its own sake. Uh, mm-hmm. The attempt to maximize product production and minimize labor, the unquestioned good of large scale routinized product, production, <laughs> material abundance as the precondition of justice and emancipation uh, mechanization. Anyways, I have a long list. Those are awesome. No, that's and, so good. And what's intre- what it would be interesting to me is, is if we could look at some of those and say, so is this implicitly connected to capitalism? I think a lot of them aren't implicitly connected because mm-hmm. like he would say, that's, they show up in. Russia, right They show up in in certain forms of quote unquote uh, communism
1: mm-hmm.
0: but maybe that's the place where that's actually not the right term is that we right. shouldn't be using that to, to describe what's happening in, in Russia. I don't know.
1: Yes. I mean, and maybe just as like one more example of like a concern that is like very clear in early capitalist writing is the notion of government capture mm. by, uh, by, by money. And I guess what we would now call big business. Mm. And so this is, I think, often something that socialists are very concerned about, but, uh, capitalists are in many or you know again from a particular per capitalist perspective yeah. this is this is the problem they're almost most concerned about and they see how governments are, Corrupted by money, yep. and where the um, their opponents say, "Let's make government bigger." They say, "No, government corruption is an inherent problem, and that we manage by minimizing the role of government right. and preventing um, them as being this tool that uh, right. corporate interests can use." So that's yeah, those interesting. The, yeah so the nope. list you have there I I'm excited I I look for it I will we can review it and then come back to some of those topics.
0: Yeah. Well I wonder I wonder a little bit too whether the the two-sided coin of neoliberalism and neoconservatism mm-hmm. right that these two terms that get bandied about uh, which I admit that I don't really understand that well mm-hmm. but I know that they're both bad <laughs> or something <laughs> yes that's yes. what I've been told um, yeah. you know that but that they're really kind of two sides of the same coin right. um, and the two ways that uh, a more conservative quote-unquote capitalist way of doing things um, that emphasizes government uh, is just c- can be seen in the same context with a liberal uh, kind of, place where you have government also playing a major role Mm -hmm. um so i mean i think and maybe this gets us to the point of where we start talking about what we want to talk about next
1: yeah yeah um yeah that sounds great so i think i think we've kind of said we'll try to kind of dive in a little deeper onto our understanding of what um capitalism is yes um and um other thoughts like just kind of as where you see us uh, what what are the the biggest pockets uh, pockets of ignorance we've highlighted that we might want to move towards? Yes. Uh, further circumscribing.
0: <laughs> so many. So, so many. many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it's a topic that I would love to talk more about. Is when I think about the possibility of the outside, I, I yeah. always frame it in that kind of way, which is maybe sort of pretentious sounding, but it's like, is there an outside to the world? Yeah, that we that we know of. And and it doesn't have to be God. Yeah. But like, what is what does an outside look like? What does that mean? Um, yeah. And I mean, well, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And
1: well, and just how much how much of the word God is like the word capitalism, where like, we're so quick to make assumptions about what that means, and whether or not that yeah. might be possible. But even just like, the outside is, I think, a legitimate way of, I mean, it's uh we could often use that in place of the word god right just this notion of um something that is not contained mm-hmm. i mean it, and for me first and foremost at least by our understanding right let alone yeah. you know maybe all the world that it's,
0: is it's a uh, Karl Barth's notion of god as the holy other right the holy other which means that it's it's not something that can be just captured. I mean, the the thing about the Calvinist God that Weber hates right? yeah. or, or at least speaks harshly about yes. is that it's a God who doesn't understand us, but has extremely high expectations of us. <laughs> and so in some ways is a very small God. Like right. it's like whereas I love the idea of just the outside, like like the mystery, right? What is the mm-hmm. mystery, the unknowing mm-hmm. um, of 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 existence? Yeah. Um, And I think that there is a gap between certain, like, you know, maybe certain religious traditions version of that, even though there's a mystical element there and, and maybe other like a secular version of that, but yeah, sorry. I cut you off.
1: No, 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 that's good. I mean, and, and with the, you know, I think just kind of acknowledging that um, religious language and religious topics are going to be pretty important to a lot of the way that we talk about things. And yeah, so, uh, like, because I'm not sure how strongly to draw the distinction between um, the, the outside, right? But also even this notion of um, the sublime nature of the inside, right? Even, yeah. right? And those are, like, two very related uh ideas but like so maybe it's more imminent than anything outside maybe mm-hmm. it's in the here and now but even so just the notion of um oh no and now this is the second time the story has come to my mind recently that I, I do not know how to tell but it's a story about um a wealthy prince who witnesses a wise old man who th- uh turns down wealth and and or even throws it away and the prince is maddened by this thought of this this man and eventually throws his wealth into the ocean and goes out in search of this man to find out what he has um that is um that makes him able to um live with no consideration for the the powers of men and um and he eventually finds this man and he says what do you have that enables you to to do this and um the this old man knowing that the prince has thrown away his wealth to come and meet him says i now i have what you now have too right this this notion of seeking for that thing Mm. that is um that is more than just the material or something Mm -hmm. of the Mm -hmm. or 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 in the material but matters somehow the sources of meaning yeah um and um i i i I hope that lots of what we touch on going forward is kind of revolves around some of that. So,
0: yeah, me too. I think it will.
1: <laughs> um, that's great. Anything else that we need to do before closing off?
0: I I don't know. I feel I need to read 300 pages. Uh, yep. You know, Good. you've, you've got the wealth of nations. Yes. Uh, book, books one to five i don't know how many books are you reading i'm just joking
1: <laughs> yeah well i mean the, either the wealth of nations or at least the wikipedia article about it. absolutely 100
0: percent yes, yeah. um, i might you know what i'll put in the show notes uh i don't know how what those are or how we make them but um uh the the right. original yeah, article yeah. to the plow Car- quarterly uh awesome. the plow quarterly article because i think it's it's open to anybody so yep
1: that sounds great but well that's this has been really great for me. Um, me too thanks so much for for doing this with me and likewise um, I look forward to doing more of this
0: me too okay hey thanks everybody
1: yeah thanks okay bye yeah